You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Now, Danny probably won't say this because uh, he's a humble guy, but for those of you who don't know, um, Danny is, for my money, one of the most exciting core magicians alive right now. Um, well, for my money, is the most exciting core magician alive. He won't say that himself, of course, but um, I've seen I've seen them all, and uh, we're speaking with the best in the world, in my opinion. Um, so, oh, thank you know, you. we're very excited to have him on, asking him, asking him a few questions, and uh, we'll, I think we'll get straight into it, why don't we? Yeah. So... Danny, tell me. Um, we, we, we just for everyone listening, we, we'd already we've already kind of vibed a bit uh, before we started. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, we wanted to to ask you a few questions. First of all, I know it's probably very cliche and something you get asked a lot. But Danny, how did you get into magic? Where where did the passion come from? Was it a, was it an uncle? Was it a father? Was it just strolling down the street one day and you saw a book in a bookshop? What was it? Yeah. So. Um... I was 15 years old and my grandfather had just passed away and he was such an important figure in my life. I grew up in a chaotic family and he was probably the, the, the model of sanity for me, you know, and somebody I had just such a deep heartfelt connection with. So for him to pass when I was 15 was um, a big deal. He was a coin collector and he gave me so many coins and when he passed away i received all those coins but Mm -hmm. before then he'd also given me a handful even when i was really young so i had morgan silver dollars and walking liberties and you know so so much so many different types of coins so i had i think a walking liberty in my hand um at his funeral i was sitting there and uh, a man came up who I guess was a friend of my grandfather's. I still to this day do not know who this mysterious stranger was. And oh, he but... said, hey, can I see that? And I was a little taken aback by this. I'm at my grandfather's funeral, and there's this mm-hmm. man trying to just ask me to hand him this piece of silver, <laughs> you know? But it's like, sure. And he placed it on the tip of his pointer finger, and he snapped over it with his other hand, and it just suddenly disappeared. And I was, I was shocked, right? It was the first time I'd ever seen magic in person. And it might have even been, I don't really have a me- clear memory of even seeing magic before that. But it was definitely the first time I saw it in person, maybe even the first time I'd seen magic. And it was such an interesting experience for me. I remember being in this state where I felt this surge of, you know, we, we have so many names for it in magic, mm. experience of magic, wonder, awe. Some people like to argue that these are all different things, but I, w- I, I think that's nonsense. Mm. Um, I think we all just have different ways of expressing it and we choose different words for it. Mm-hmm. But um, for the sake of this, I'll use the word wonder. Mm-hmm. And so there was this state and this elated state of wonder. And at the same time, in this place of such strong grief, I did not know how to reconcile these two feelings happening simultaneously. Um, But my wonder, the state of wonder was so powerful. I asked this man, you please, you have to show me how you did that. And he said, I'd be happy to, because I think he could see where I was at and he wanted to, you know, Mm -hmm. be able to offer me that and maybe bring me some, some relief. So he 
taught it to me. And that's, uh, is it okay to talk about methods on here? Yeah. I think yeah, actually, I, I think I, it's, it's up to you, Danny. I mean, um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a classic uh, it's trick actually. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um you you place a coin on the tip of your first finger just like extend it straight up so the mm -hmm. coins uh parallel with the ground and you have to have sleeves on for this right but you could pull your sleeves back a little bit and still make this work as long as they're hanging a little bit and when you would snap over the coin your middle finger would hit the rim of the coin and shoot it along your arm into your sleeve mm -hmm. but you would do this as your hand kind of circled around um your the right hand circling mm -hmm. above yeah, yeah, yeah. and around the coin snaps and it is it can be so instantaneous looking mm -hmm. um so Danny, you, you man, know there was this crazy is that yeah. um sorry to interrupt you but as you were saying that i remember that is exactly the trick that my dad would do with me when i was young um and i would always think because he, he would do it though i don't know if you've i guess it must be possible he, did it, but he would do it no no he, well yeah sometimes but he'd do it with his um in like a short sleeve top so like you know, sometimes oh, yeah. I would see him do it with like a long sleeve shirt, but sometimes he'd be wearing you know Sunday dress and he'd have a short sleeve and he'd go <laughs> watch and then do it all the way. But I mean, that was after I knew the method. And he was just kind of showing off at that point. Um, but <laughs> it's interesting you bring that up because I totally forgotten about that until you said. So like arm locked out straight, able to yeah, shoot yeah. it into a short. Wow, that's but it was not so usable in terms <laughs> of going out and doing it for people. But for somebody who knew yeah. the method, like yeah, let me show you. You think you're good? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um. So, yeah, here I was in this, uh, this, you know, enthralled in what this man was showing me. And that brought about a second state of wonder. It, it, there was, and I think a lot of magicians, if they, if they try to recall this, they'll realize and remember, oh, we used to experience that state, not just when we saw a good trick, but when we learned a good trick. There was that sense of uh, limitless imagination around the possibilities of this and the just um, being so deeply seduced by that feeling, being able to rest in that feeling of having learned something so fascinating that we can go out and show people mm. and the, you know, maybe a sense of a deep sense of worth and appreciation for one's own abilities to go out and share something. I think, you know, like you had a, mm. you had something to offer the world. And so there was that experience and I'm holding this profound state of wonder and this deep state of grief simultaneously. And eventually they just kind of clicked together. And there was this experience of looking at my grandfather's death in an entirely new way, free of preconceptions and ideas about what it all means. And just looking at it like I was experiencing it for the first time and nobody had ever told me what death was. And there was just a much deeper appreciation for that experience. I was able to apply that state of wonder to this experience in a way that allowed me to really just appreciate and really recall all the beautiful times I had with my grandfather and that loss actually leaving me with this state of vulnerability that felt more open and receptive to the joys of life. So that was a huge moment for me. I thought, wow, this as an art form can be something really powerful that we can share with people. It can, it can open their minds in this way that could free them of fixed ways of thinking um, if it's a really powerful, strong moment. And, you know, we, I think we've all had experiences like that where we showed somebody a magic trick and they said, that changed my week or that made my week or that made my month. You know, I found myself 
just much more joyful. It, it can really pull us or jar us out of um, out of a rut. And uh, yeah, from that moment forward, I felt, wow, I have to learn this and be able to share this. Wow. wow, that was thank you. That was <laughs> that was beautiful, man. That's it. Kind of makes me feel inadequate <laughs> about yeah, my uh, m- magic kit. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, no, 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 thank you, thank it's you, not man. at all. But we, we should understand we are offering that. It's uh, in. I think you know we we are all offering that, even to some subtle degree. And it's you know, it's like. Yeah, even in very subtle amounts, it has such a huge impact on people. Even if it's just a moment of joy, you know, like we all are constantly seeking entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, or spending all this time on our phones or whatever it may be, because we don't know how to just sit with the experience of life. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, there's a beautiful, painful aspect to life, you know, when we really just rest in it. We, there's no, you can't really push away the parts you don't like you can distract yourself from them but you can't really push away the parts you don't like so when we offer something that is entertaining but still has this sense of human connection to it that's there the entirety of the experience i'm talking about is there in that even if it's subtle and it's not fully recognized it's always present in my personal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think uh you might have lost you for a second danny Think you might, might I think we be. might hit the 10 minute mark maybe yeah <laughs> but um okay can you hear me now yeah you're back yeah we got you yeah yeah <laughs> for those who are listening at home we discovered that uh if my phone screen times out uh my mic stops right <laughs> <laughs> fortunately i i think we were just about you you're at the end of it right there was, was there anything yeah. else you said or i think we oh, i think I, we got that um, that's what you were danny what what you were trying to do is you were trying to make people live in that silence of life for a second wasn't it, it was like purposeful <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you cut your yeah, mic exactly. yeah and then people have to think about it for a second <laughs> so there's like um I, another way i talk about it is it's like a gap you know it's like mm-hmm. we have our preconceptions about the world right we we look at the world and we see it through the lens of our perceptions or preconceptions, our ideas about what this world is, about what any given moment is, or what who a particular person is, or whatever it is we're looking at. We're looking at it filtered through our thoughts about whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. right? And with magic, it's this beautiful thing where we, you know, you have a coin, you place it in your left hand, and they the spectator does what we all do and you start playing out those thoughts, that storyline, that filter, right? Cause we don't want to just experience life through the rawness of our sense perceptions. We, uh, we fixate on our thoughts and ideas about it. It's some way of asserting our own identity into the situation, but you know, we all do this, but they, they do this in the process of we place a coin in the hand and they start telling themselves the story. Okay. It's in the hand. Oh, maybe he did something there, right? they, they start trying to get a leg up on the situation as we all do in our lives. And then when you open your hand and they realize their entire story, this whole scaffolding that they built up about what they think is happening falls away. There's a gap. There's a moment free of those preconceptions, free of those ideas and that thought filter. And there's a chance for them to experience something with a perception that is fresh 
and unfiltered and raw and more direct. And that I believe is the state of wonder. I think it mm. is to, you know, and I think there's wonder the noun and then wonder the verb, right? Mm. You mm. can start to wonder about something, which is to uh, actually let go of your preconceptions. Mm. It's to try to think in a new way to imagine, right? And this is a state of mind that's more associated with, oh, I don't need to know. Maybe I don't know mm. and exploring free of preconception. And then there's wonder the noun, which is the actual experience of, even the imaginative process can kind of fall apart and it's a little more expansive and uh, um, less contained than that even. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. No, no, I I think I get you. Um, And and another sort of, uh, I I heard you use the word wonder in another sense earlier that I was, I really wanted not to forget because I found it really interesting. I thought I'd bring it up is, so you talked about, um, obviously we talked about wonder uh, for the spectator, but you said something which I've never heard anybody say before, which is about the wonder of the method. So, um, as a magician, when you find out the method and how that can be a wonderful thing in itself. I think that's such a different perspective than what I hear sometimes where people are like, you know, it's almost like they feel hard done by like, oh, well, I know the secret now. You know, I don't have any fun, like constantly looking for more secrets. You know, nothing fools me anymore. And they have that kind of almost pessimistic outlook on it where, you know, all I can do is fool other people. I no longer can get that feeling for myself, which was the whole reason I started to begin with. But I feel like you just flipped on his head what you were saying about, you can have that same wonder when you see the method and you think, wow, there's so many applications of this, or I can use this right. in combination with this principle, or there's all right. kinds of new explorations. I've, I've never heard anybody talk about it like that. Yeah. And that's, you know, and I, but I think we all, or I think most of us, or maybe many of us, maybe I shouldn't even make such uh, um, absolute statements, but for, for myself, it was very much that way when I first started doing magic. It was, if I learned a new technique, I thought, oh, what are all the things you could do with this? You know, and mostly because I wasn't learning like complete packaged effects that I bought on the internet. I was reading about a move in a book and that naturally led to like, oh, what are all the things you could do with this move? And the book would start to tell you, oh, you could do this with it, you could do this with it, you could do this with it. So it implied a sense of limitless possibility. And you know, that that's such a that's a unique state of mind, right? Mm. It's limitless. The state of imagination is a limitless state of mind. It has no limits. But what we know, if we fixate on what we know, that's limited. It's very, you can measure what you know. And if you only see the world through what you know, there's no expansiveness in that. But when we appreciate the state of not knowing, it's actually a limitless state of mind. It has an endless sense of possibility Mm. to it. And that has a deep inspiration to it because you can feel free, you know, mm-hmm. rather than getting stuck in a fixed way of viewing the world. So I think that's also something where, you know, that's part of that state of wonder that we're offering to the spectator and that like, oh, I don't know. And I can enjoy that. I don't know if it's delivered in that way. Yeah. And I think, do you think it's um, a mistake sometimes people make when they write magic books is that, or at least maybe when they read them, um, it's sort of like the author's word is the final word. And so you read it and you think, okay, well, this is how it's done. And not enough people read it and think, or or have the invitation yeah. to in the book say, okay, well, here's how I do it. But, you know, here are all the fundamental core stuff that go into yeah. it. You can, you can cook it up in any way you want, you know? I feel like people don't even Absolutely. think about it in that way sometimes. Absolutely. And I think this is where a lot of magicians get stuck in terms of being creative. It's like, uh, you know, they don't, People just go, oh, I want to create something new. You go, why do you want to create something new? Well, I just do. 
Well how, well, how can you create something purposeful if you don't have a purpose for creating it? You know, it's mm-hmm. for me, it was anything I've ever created was because I saw a gap. I saw, you know what? I kind of like this, but what if you didn't do that back and forth motion? What if I mm-hmm. took that out? Because that seems unnecessary. So rather than taking like, so like Kaino Harbottle, amazing magician, deeply inspired my coin work, but I didn't take what he said as absolute fact. And that was the mm-hmm. end, end all. He did a pendulum hanging coins, this amazing routine, right? You have the four coins in the fan of the left hand. You take one off with the right hand. You place it in the left. Then you grab the three and vanish. But then you do the same on the other side. So each hand is being shown empty. But that motion I thought was too much. To have the fan of coins in the left hand, take one off, place it into the left, and then take the fan from the left hand with so many motions just to place a coin in the hand. So I was like, how can you construct an entire routine of hanging coins that didn't do that uh, that kind of motion? What if you could just take one coin off the fan, vanish it, transfer the fan to the other hand, take another coin off the fan and vanish it and do that until there was nothing left? Mm-hmm. And when we have a purpose like that, so many great ideas come about. Yeah. You know, I, I ended up creating, um, let's see, one, two, three, I think I... This routine, I ended up creating three or four new moves in um, just because I needed it to fit this image I had, what I'd imagined would be a better end result. Mm-hmm. So often, you know, the when we find somebody's work as the end-all, be-all, we don't look at the conflicts within it. But conflicts mm-hmm. are the fundamental ground for creative solutions. Mm-hmm. You that's what creativity is. It's a solution to a conflict. So, but magicians see a conflict and they go, oh, let me go find something else. Right. No, no, no. Dive into the conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let that, you know, be the, uh, the dirt in which the, you know, the sprouts of creativity can arise from. Mm-hmm. So I think we should be criticizing uh, magicians work more. We should know what do I like about this? What do I not like about it? Well, I don't like that this thing happens. Okay. That's that's a purpose. Now I have a purpose for creating or adjusting this move and doing it in a new way, a different way. Mm. And then, of course, you can create something purposeful at that point because you have a purpose to create it. And it gives a tighter parameters and structure around creativity, which I find is it's easier to be more creative Mm -hmm. when we have that kind of a clear goal in mind. That's it. Sorry, I, I don't know if we're probably going to say the same thing, Benji, but mm-hmm. I think it's something that me, me and Benji talk about a lot um, is that almost that culture that magicians can get trapped into, which is that basically everything good that will come out of magic has already been created and is in an old magic book and you can go read it. And everything else yeah. is like, you know, it's, it's, like, it's almost like the era of magic is done and like just go read it and do what people have already done. And, and I, I think... I really love what you're saying, Danny, because I, I think it is a really key point that I think a lot of people can miss, which is uh, like pick people apart, and then or if you don't like something, that's okay. Just because they wrote a book 50 years ago and people have read it up until now doesn't mean that you have to fall into like the same. You don't have to do the same thing, and and like I love what you're saying about that that specific routine where you know it, it's a it's a legendary routine yet. You didn't want to do that part, and and I think it's that confidence that allows to that space to 
like you were saying, for creativity and to mm. move forward because this isn't as far as magic can go. And if, and, and we can, of course, always create new effects and right. and create effects that we want and create a feeling in our audience that we want them to feel, not a feeling that the magician that you're reading wanted them to feel because maybe what you want to convey to your audience is different to what the magicians that you're reading about right. to convey, right? Absolutely. I think as well, um, an interesting point, just stepping outside from magic for a minute, but, but it's definitely very deeply connected to what you were saying, Danny, about uh, I love how you said creativity um, comes about when you're trying to resolve a conflict. And, and this is something because my background, or at least part of it, I, I've spent a fair bit of time studying you know, marketing and uh, entrepreneurship, product development, all that kind of stuff. And so many times people have these ideas for amazing products, um, but they fail because they start out with the product and they say, right, okay, I've just invented this amazing product. Now I want everyone to come and buy it. And inevitably nobody does. And that's because they've started by looking at the product rather than looking at the market. And the, the better way of doing it is looking at the market, seeing problems that exist and then simply solving a problem, right. stepping in solving a problem. And then people will naturally come and want that. And I think it's the same in magic. Right. You don't say, okay, I want to do this. Let's do it. You, like you're saying, you look for areas of conflict, mm-hmm. tension, problems. And by solving that, it's natural that yeah. other people are going to resonate with that, I think. Right. And I think, it, oh, go ahead, Danny. You're fine. Uh, you go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think a, a great example of that in the, like the modern day of like inventions, this is a really simple one, but often we don't think about is like the M&M and the fact that the pro- the conflict there was chocolate melts in your hand, right? <laughs> and so M&M thought, well, what if we cover it so it doesn't melt in your hand, right? And, and that's the birth of this, you know, multi-million dollar business and i think that's really interesting like if you take that as a microcosm for your creative process like they saw an issue that many people wouldn't think you know we need to plug this yet they did and and it it worked out for them and that's so funny because i'm not even aware of that until you said it and i'm like oh that is what's so nice about m&ms they feel so efficient efficient. i think it it might have feel like i feel like i can just eat them with ease and not have to worry about you know, <laughs> having like a plate and all the things and making sure I have a napkin nearby. And yeah, that's a trip. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's an interesting thing too, right? Because then some of these ideas, they have this impact that your spectator might not even be aware of, but they, they enjoy it more. And they don't necessarily know why they enjoy it more, but they do because of it resolves some kind of conflicts or takes out some unnecessary moment or adds a little bit more grace to whatever the performance may be. Yeah, exactly. And and actually, yeah. fo- so, so following on, I actually, I had a question that because it seems like we're kind of talking about kind of your motifs when it comes to magic and like the things that you find important and where you kind of your inspiration. But I, as a follow up question to what we've been talking about, I, I'd be interested to know kind of, I mean, I don't know your exact age, but I think we're both the same kind of young age. Like, what's what are your goals going forward with magic? Kind of like what? Where do you want to be, let's say, in five years, in 10 years? What what, what do you want to create in your audience? And basically, what, what are your, your long-term goals, if, if that is a decent mm-hmm. enough question? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't think in linear ways, actually. Um, one, I'm, Ooh, I'm ADD. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> one, I'm, uh, I'm ADD. And I, I'm, uh, I have sometimes very... Um, 
severe symptoms of ADD. Mm-hmm. And people with ADD are not linear people. We, we talk about something and we're going in a vertical line and all of a sudden we go off on a horizontal tangent for 20 minutes and then we bring it back to the horizontal line and then start going vertical again. But then we have to explain some kind of horizontal plane on that vertical line. So we go on a tangent for 20 minutes. So right. like, <laughs> um, my life feels that way often. It's, uh, it's, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in this horizontal thing. I'm going to be here for a while because this could unpack a, a new way of looking at the vertical line of what comes next. You know, what's right here and how can I unpack the depth of this moment and let that naturally unfold into what happens in, you know, the coming days, months, years, etc. Right. Okay, so for me, it's about what I'm generally interested in right now like overall like what do i want to be in five years i want to be living a life that's uh meaningful feels um full of beauty and enjoyment and feeling like i'm offering something of benefit to others so that's that's as vague as i keep my so it's it's like less it's not not so far as like where do you want to be and what do you want to be doing it's more about you you want to maintain a mindset and whatever that mindset creates is you're happy with that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, just uh, don't want to get too far into this realm of things, but I'd actually just personally don't think we have that much control over our lives that we get to choose (laughs) what our future (laughs) looks like and what our path looks like. I think there's so many, there's such a complexity to our personality and our identity and our traumas and our conflicts of our lives that the more those things open up, we, the more we see that our, even our goals, our ambitions were built on some kind of self-proving or self, um, establishing identity to counter some argumentative conflict in our youth around who we were or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden we find ourselves going, Oh, that's actually not what my life is about. So I think we construct this idea of what we think we want from our lives to most of the time find it's not really the case. So in general, I find the best way to relate with that is some sense of by being entirely present, um, my life will naturally unfold in a way that is more so the path of least resistance, but also a path that is continuously opening. Because mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. rejecting this present moment for some mm-hmm. ideal future one. Right. So therefore, mm-hmm. the inherent wisdom of this moment can continuously unfold. That's mm-hmm. generally my mindset around um, around growth. Mm-hmm. I like it. So, Danny, I just... Um... I heard you talking then about, you know, being present in the moment. Um, and I think that's a pretty good segue into what I was, I was meaning to ask you next, which is, um, and, and let me know if you're comfortable talking about this, but I know uh, you studied for a long time Buddhism. I was wondering if there are any uh, kind of lessons you learned in that that you've applied to your magic, because the thing me and Jacob have found is that there are so many sort of uh, other areas of life, the lessons you've learned from them and principles that work in them often carry over very nicely into any other pursuit and it's i don't know if i did a good job explaining that but um oh yeah beautifully said absolutely and i I think you know a lot of magicians we actually get so caught up in in magic that we forget to pull inspiration from other aspects of our lives you know Mm -hmm. which then makes our magic more relatable to people because if you 
you know, if you're a botanist and you love plants and you take that passion and you bestow it into your magic, you know, now there are people who can learn and relate to, you know, their plants and their house plants and things that, you know, we all live in a world where there's plants. That's very relatable to the spectator and it gives them a layer of connecting with your piece if you use your other passions as part of your patter or presentation. You know, whereas like magicians who like to talk about, oh, if I put the coin here, but I actually misdirected you, it's over here. Like that kind of presentation gives nothing for the spectator to connect with. They're not a magician. You're actually just asserting yourself above them and telling them they're a fool. Mm-hmm. You know, but so many magicians do that because they don't engage in other passions outside of mm-hmm. their art form. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think whatever it is you're passionate about should have a deep influence on your magic. And yeah, as you're saying, um, Buddhism meditation has been a huge part of that uh, for me. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that a little bit. So Buddhism, for the most part, um, isn't quite a religion. It's actually a a science of looking at the mind. And don't get me wrong, there's some beliefs constructed in Buddhism. Um, But for the most part, the Buddhists don't need, none of those things are requirements. And it's primarily focused on um, looking at one's own mind, sitting in meditation, looking at what is the process of awareness, how does our observation of reality affect the way we go through our lives, et cetera. And it's a very directly observing, acknowledging and learning process. It's not, hey, take these beliefs and believe them. It's look for yourself and here's some methods of looking. So, and then it's then having conversation or dialogue around the shared experiences of what awareness is and how it's influenced through preconceptions, letting go of preconceptions, and uh, looking at our many, many filters or even freedom from filters, these ways of perceiving that we can then experience life through. So for me, that's had a huge impact on my magic. I, uh, you know, everything is mind, you know? You can't experience yeah. anything free from mind. You need a mind to experience it. And everything you're seeing is light bouncing off of your, you know, your eyeball, your brain processes this image. And it's, it's very much in your mind. You know, when you see a retention, a vision vanish, and it looks like you're seeing that coin between the fingers, even as the hand is coming away. Mm-hmm. That's because your mind is very directly hallucinating it. You know, sure, by now, many of you know the science behind this, which is that when light suddenly changes in the environment, your brain has to adjust your pupils to the changing light. Because if your eyes are too dilated and a room is too bright, it would be extremely blurry, like when you get dilation drops, right? And then you go out and everything's blurry, taking in too much light. So the brain has to make adjustments. So to do that, light travels... um, Ooh, I think it's 181 uh, million miles per second. Very Is that right? Wicked fast. The scientific term is wicked fast. So, <laughs> and, uh, so it's, it's there and it's gone. So your brain has to freeze that image and hold it in your mind so we can then make the adjustment to your pupils. So you're actually seeing the light longer than it's there. So when a magician turns the coin and pulls the hand away quick enough and you swear you're seeing that light between the fingers, that's a hallucination. That's due to your mind's process, your mind, wow. your brain trying to process what is occurring. 
but so our ideas of what is what is real and trying to separate matter from mind you can't you can't do that your mind is a profound influence on your experience of life and we can directly observe this and look at it and one of the interesting ways to do that is to place awareness on awareness itself and uh, some interesting experiences come about through that we start to learn a little bit more about awareness we're always looking through the uh, the lens of awareness but we never put the lens on itself we never look at it what yeah. is this thing you know with our own minds so that became you know this started to as you can see many ways started to come together my understanding of awareness but also my understanding of you know the scientific principles of how neuros basically in the realm of neuroscience how the brain processes light sound touch etc and all of these things and then how that influences our perceptions of the world because what is magic but influencing the perception of another human being mm. so yeah and it's you know and what we were talking about earlier of you know, somebody has a preconception about reality. They look at the world through the lens of thought and we help them establish a storyline about what's happening as we're doing the magic. And then the punchline or the climax of the performance kind of yanks that scaffolding from underneath them. And they have a moment of free from preconception, this gap, this awe moment. And in Buddhism, we teach that's the that's more of the mind's natural state of being actually is free from preconception we as human beings have become overly obsessed with thinking and we're always looking at the world through our thoughts but our thoughts are not reality and your thoughts can never yeah. describe reality you can't tell somebody what an orange tastes like and them understand they have to taste it they have to put it in their mouth there's no other way so we these these concepts and these ways of you know using language this profound beneficial tool that we have as human beings that we have become a little overly obsessed with and we <laughs> with the one tool we use for everything you know and yeah. so then we start we get fixed in our views of reality and we think the world is the way we think it is and unfortunately this deeply colors our our view of the world you know, we can go through life thinking, oh, life is life is pain. And you will experience it like that because that's how you are very directly telling yeah. your brain to interpret that situation. If you say life is profound sacredness and you continuously go through with this sense of life is beauty, you will experience it that way. So it's it's this really it's it's a necessity, actually, as human beings is our birthright in a way to understand what awareness is and to stop letting our own thoughts, our preconceptions about things dictate our perceptions of reality. And having walked that path for 18 years of my life, it has transformed me in ways that are just inexpressible. And I've longed to share that with people in any way that I can. And when I found, oh, magic and meditation are not very far off Ma uh, magic is actually the forced experience of being free from preconception mm. then i thought how can i really frame it in a way that continuously offers that to people but i know through practice 
and through meditation practice that we really fixate on our thoughts about realities, our conceptual way of viewing the world. And when you yank the chair of concept out from underneath someone and they fall, they may have that gap moment, that moment of wonder for a second. But the impulse is to immediately grab right back onto some kind of conceptual, yeah. rational way of mm-hmm. thinking. So they find themselves going immediately jumping to method. Mm-hmm. So I started to think, how do you how do we structure this in a way where they don't do that? And what I came to is that they need we all need some kind of handlebar, some sense of, you know, there's this thing we call a self. We believe it to be a fixed thing, even though it's like continuously fluctuating and is a subjective, objective experience that's actually in a constant relative process, not an absolute process. Um, There is, you know, that's what we say in Buddhism, there's no absolute self. It doesn't Mm -hmm. exist. There's no self-existing self. It's actually a a subjective experience that is continuously changing based off of what its uh, objective awareness is. And, you know, so one way to look at this is that, oh, here's one of my side tangents. I caught it. Uh, I'm going to finish, though. Um, one way of looking at this is you're not who you were when you were five. You're not who you were when you were you know, 10. You can even say you're not who you were when you were a year ago. At what point can one's awareness right. be so nuanced that you can see you're not who you are five seconds yeah, ago? Yeah, it's like how many, how many grains yeah. sound until it's a heap. <laughs> right. Exactly. So in that... Oh, okay. And then sometimes this happens with ADHD. Your side tangent completely distracts you and makes you forget your vertical tangent. Uh, <laughs> what was I saying? I think you were starting to link it into into magic in the way of like, I think, I think you were talking about oh, method. Yes. Yeah, oh, people jump right method and then handlebar was worth. Thank you. Right. The grasping for mm-hmm. uh, jumping back to rational mind. Mm-hmm. And that's because they need a handlebar. They need this self as a constantly fluctuating. Oh no, we lost you right at the, right at the critical point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the and the secret to life and universe is yeah <laughs> silence. Here we go. Sorry about that. <laughs> but anyways, and that like what I just said. That's it. That's the entire secret to the universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, great to have you, Danny. Well, uh... Stealing, <laughs> stealing your joke. Um, so. But yeah, so we, it's actually kind of frightening when we start to see that the self is not a fixed thing and it's very relative and fluctuating. Um, and when some, when our ideas about reality that we hold on to so, so firmly to even to give ourselves a firm sense of a self are stripped away from us, it's actually a frightening experience. And I think that's something a lot of magicians don't recognize is that what we're offering to people is actually kind of frightening. Uh, there's there's some fear there and we could be a little more gentle about how we invite them into that experience so that they can better enjoy it and i'm going to tell you what i've discovered in terms of how to how to do that and um and that is this 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 state is frightening it's it shows us that we're things are not as fixed as we believe them to be which we establish through our conceptual way of thinking so the conceptual uh, rug is kind of yanked out from underneath them or the conceptual chair. So when they fall like that, it's kind of frightening. It's a, whoa, it's this um, open gap kind of space. It's really hard to kind of talk about, but um, 
yeah, I'm sure many of us have had this experience, we start immediately rationalizing as to get our new handlebar, something to hold on to. And that doesn't have to happen. I found that if our presentation is imaginative, right, which is the metaphorical mind, it, uh, it relates through, not through thoughts and concepts, but it relates through imagery and sense perceptions and imagination, which is closer to that state of awe or wonder. Because to imagination is to wonder, as in the verb, and therefore it is actually very much closer to the experience of wonder, uh, which is actually not so much an action, but more so a um, subjective experience. So if they're imagining, which is more of a limitless state, right? It's not confined by conceptualities or a limited measurable amount of knowledge. It's more of a limitless state. You can be an imaginative state and still maintain the state of wonder. Whereas if you have the state of wonder and all of a sudden you start rationalizing about it, you lose, you can lose the state of wonder through that rationalizing process. So to help them make, stay in that state of wonder, we should invoke more imagination in our performance. If we, uh, and I'll give you some examples here. Mm -hmm. Let's say, you know, so I'm actually use one that, uh, happened at a convention, um, Daniel Garcia mm. uh, took, um, he took deck cards, said someone pick one, put it back in. He dribbled them on the table and he blew on the deck as he was dribbling and one card shot out. And um, everyone lost their shit over this. They were just like, whoa, everyone's freaking out. And it was so funny <laughs> because he was like, what? This is, this is just, it's just loops. And they're like, oh, it's right. <laughs> <laughs> a big oh moment because everyone thought he actually blew and got the card to shot out. So they started immediately imagining the potential of such a thing. And you bet. You know, and in this way that kept them in this state of wonder, but also because it kind of blurs the lines between real and unreal. Mm. So there's, uh, there's no reason to overly rationalize. So that's one kind of example. But I'm going to share with you um, one that I use, which is, I want them to imagine the environment. If I say there's an invisible thread here on my lap with a, a hook on it, uh, it's a little metal hook, a little fish hook, right? And I'm talking and I say, here, I got a coin. We're going to hang it on there. And I go to hang the coin. And when I open my hand, the coin falls to the table. It just drops. It doesn't stick. And I go, huh. And I go, oh, I see what's happening here. Right? Now I start rationalizing which is good because that's going to be their impulse. But I want to direct that rationalization back to an imaginative metaphorical mind, right? A mind that is more conducive to continuing to rest in the state of wonder. So I'm using their rational mind to do that because the second I open my hand, it drops. I go, oh, I see what's happening here. And they go, wait, what's happening there? And I go, there's no hole in this coin. <laughs> How could it possibly hang on this hook? They go, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so now they're imagining. <laughs> they're using their rational mind to imagine. So this is a gentle transition. You invite them into the metaphorical mind through their rational mind rather than trying to mm -hmm. reject their rational mind, which will usually just result in more pushback. So you do something like that, right? And then sometimes they'll have even more inferential details. I go, but I have an idea. If we imagine that the hook is really hot and I get a little bit of friction on the coin and I rub my fingers, uh, rub the coin in my hand as I say this, and, and I say, and then we should be able to, and as I move my hand over to the position of the imaginary hook, I just go, 
and then I open my hand and it's gone, right? It's hanging, it's hanging there. I don't tell them what happened. I infer it. So they use their rational mind to fill in the gaps, which is to go, oh, he melted it on there, mm -hmm. right? Or he welded it on there, whatever it may be. Um, so you can infer these little details and invoke a sense of imagination. So, so now like, mm -hmm. when they're in the, yeah. Bench? Hello? Oh, <laughs> it's okay. I think we're all fine. Um, uh, no worries. Mm -hmm. Were you going to say something? I was just going to say, it's like, uh, rather than you, rather than the feeling like their the rational mind has been suppressed while you're performing and they're, they're sort of itching at the scene, they're itching just to get out and start thinking about it, you're, you're sort of giving them a chance to, to roam and, and, and let their mind wander, but under a very sort of defined uh, sort of limitations. Not in that sense, it's just, it's like, almost like, the, it's like a leash on it, but you're still letting it get up and, and walk around and try and put right. what's happening so rather than just suppressing it. Yeah, so now when you yank the rug out from underneath them, they don't just fall into a state of I don't know. They have something to hold on to, which is the imagination. It's not a method, so it's not a fixed conceptuality. They don't get to, uh, they still have to suspend disbelief, right? They still have to, uh, you know, imagine that what's occurring is occurring because, you know, it's either that or rationalized to a method. But they're more likely to rationalize to a method when you yank the rug out from underneath them if you don't give them something to relate to. Mm -hmm. But if you have this imagined possibility that is a, they are more invited into, that's a relatable experience. It gives them some more ground to stand upon and mm -hmm. experience that state of wonder without the fear impulse to rationalize. Mm. That's been my experience in the way that I now structure my routines and perform them and offer them. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, let me know, please. Uh, I, I talk a lot. I go on long rants uh, <laughs> and, and it's sometimes a lot really fast. Please challenge me if something doesn't make sense or ask questions, have me clarify. Uh, I want to make sure this is getting across. No, I think it is. Um, we're just sort of sitting at the feet of the master right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> one thing that did occur to me while you were speaking is, and this is something I've, I've talked about a little bit before, but I didn't, um, it was only until near the end of what you're saying that I realized it's, it's actually quite a similar concept. And um, the way I talk about it is in, in terms of films. And so I, I like to talk about something called internal logic, um, which is, and you know, maybe this is just me trying to <laughs> trying to prove that my film studies are, uh, course that i did at college was useful um but but one of the concepts that we talked about was called internal logic which is the idea that people will let you do anything you want in films you can you can get away with doing stuff that breaks the laws of reality but you have to do it within its own reality so so an example of that might be uh inception so if you're watching inception obviously they're traveling like into dreams now we know that's not something you can do in real life and so they are breaking the laws of reality and uh doing something even magical but they're doing it within mm -hmm. its own very clearly defined set of rules. And so in Inception, the rules that are laid out are, you know, you can go X layers deep, but if you, you know, if you fall off your chair, you're going to wake up. Or if you do this, then you're going to do this. And they have very rigid rules. And so the film obeys its own reality. And um, that in that way, it makes sense to us because you say, okay, well, that's the reality they're in. Right. And as long as it obeys that reality in itself, it's fine. And, and we'll let it get away with what it wants. And, and that was where it was reminding me of when you were talking about the, the coin and the hook. And so, Obviously, all right. of it it gives them, reality, but it has that consistency of like yeah. internal logic, I think. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic example. 
Yeah. And then, you know, one more way to talk about it, I think, just to give another angle, is um, Eric Mead, in one of his performances, he talked about uh, suspension of disbelief. And, you know, because that's how we many of us define magic, right? The spectator suspends disbelief. Um, he talked about how you don't want them to entirely suspend disbelief. That... Um, that's what somebody does when they go to see a play. They pretend the person's not hanging by a rope so that they can imagine they're flying. But that's not quite magic. You know, a play's not quite magic. You entirely suspend disbelief. So you want the spectators to bring, you don't want them to willingly suspend disbelief. You want them to bring their criticism to the playing field, right? You want them to bring their some disbelief or a good healthy amount of disbelief so that you can then kind of yank that away from them. And I loved that way of talking about it, but I think there's actually more to it than that. I think you want them to have some willingness of disbelief. I think you want them to actually meet you uh, halfway. And I think that's done through that inviting them to imagine. Because, you know, so they have, um, they come into the situation. Yes, you want them to have some criticism so that you, you know, have something to, you have a rug to yank from underneath them, basically. That becomes the rug you yank from underneath their feet or the fixed way of perceiving that you're freeing them of. But once again, just getting another way of plugging this in is um, you want them to have some suspension, some willing suspension of disbelief, which is done through the sense of imagination because it gives them something to fall back onto gives them an experience to then relate to so i actually think you know despite what eric says which i amazing former i think it's somewhere in between i think you don't want them to entirely suspend disbelief um so you need really strong method and things that they're going to go no that's not possible so that there's still this whoa factor and you want them to suspend some disbelief on their own so they feel more invited into the experience and therefore they walked into it of their own accord rather than you kind of yanked them into it and they try to yank themselves back out. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating how, how many overlaps are between, because you see a lot of magicians spend a lot of time studying magic and the, the mechanics of it. And then a lot of them also go and spend a lot of time studying the theory of it. But something I don't see a lot of magicians studying, but I think they really should. Cause you know, if you think about it, like, like you've been talking about, this is all, all the principles are talking about, you know, suspension, disbelief, all this kind of stuff is, grounded in like narrative art and so you know if you're writing books or uh making films or theater that's Mm -hmm. a theory that people should also be studying because so many of those concepts are uh, are pretty vital but it's like you know how many people pick up the writer's journey or the hero's journey whatever and and really study that because then that that plays into because all we're doing is telling a narrative so you really should be studying how do the best writers in the world create their narratives and, and and pull that kind of stuff in as well so i find that fascinating yeah I really liked how you described, just to kind of go back as well. Um, so I, I actually spent two years volunteering in um, France and towards the end I got, um, I made a lot of friends with uh, with people that were, were Buddhist and also just like with people that were really into energy work and, and meditation and that sort of thing. And it, it was really fascinating actually to hear you talk about that because I'd never quite made that link between magic and uh, kind of getting outside of your body and kind of being in that present moment and forgetting about everything else and just being present there but also almost like like you said falling into that gap where you are you're just 
almost like you're just existing and it's i don't know yeah. it, I, I really i really liked her, how you talked about that because it, it's so fascinating because that's really the experience i had with meditation when i first got into it and and, and I, mm-hmm. I i i had a someone someone that the person that taught me how to meditate actually trained with uh with deepak chopra and i don't know if uh, he's decent i don't know if yeah he, yeah yeah so, so she trained under him and then uh she kind of taught me a lot of the stuff that that she found in, well obviously just everything basically that she could in the time while i was there and it, it, yeah. it was really fascinating because i mean it was trying to kind of try and like paint the scene it was like we were in like the <laughs> the south of france like in the mountains there was like the sea and like uh because she liked doing like outdoor meditation so we'd go up and we'd go on this long hike and then we get to this place where we're completely alone and just like you were saying try and reach that like gap right like you like you were describing it and and i think it's fascinating to to take that feeling right of because it was a lot of effort you know to learn how to to learn how to meditate is actually quite difficult and to find be able to go into your own space of nothingness and just existing is quite difficult so i think i love how you applied that because what you've been able to do with a simple magic routine is take someone into their gap without them it's pretty hard it's not not, yeah i mean i've seen what i mean is yeah not that not that it's a simple route but what i mean is for them they haven't had to go on a hike or train under you know deepak Chopra or had to learn how to meditate they've been they've been transported mentally into that place just by performance and i I think that's but that is that is what's always happening with magic actually so when you practice meditation you that gap is a lot longer Right. Um, you experience their longer states of it, and you can recognize it. Um, in a magic trick, it's a it's a ha- it's a split second usually. It's right. a, it's a gap, whoa, and then it's a snapping back in mm-hmm. experiencing disbelief. So it's a subtler moment. But yeah, what I'm saying here is through the process of imagination, inviting them, you can you can kind of stretch out the gap for them. It's very um, fascinating. Yeah, ultimately, I think it's best that people go meditate, but um, <laughs> this is uh, the great way to offer it. And if I may make a correction, um, you may. it's not quite—it's not nothingness, right? Nothingness is not the experience. It, it can—it's a type of voidness, but it's—it's. I want to make this correction because people often um, view Buddhists as kind of like nihilistic, mm-hmm. um, or like, you know, a term we use often is emptiness, but emptiness mm-hmm. doesn't mean nothingness. It means empty of concept. Right. So it can feel like a blank space in that your conceptual noise falls away and there's this yeah. void, this kind of voidness. But within that, you know, colors are brighter, sounds are crisper. Yeah. Everything has this profound fullness. So it's um, just to make that clarification, yeah, if yeah. anyone is listening, it's, it's a very much... Um, a very full state and emptiness is more of a teaching tool than a descriptor mm-hmm. of the state. It's not a description of the state. It's a way of expressing that because the state is kind of beyond description or expression or labels, because that would just be another concept, right. um, which points to what the word really means, which means emptiness, empty of concept. And the ness is that there's a, there's still suchness there. There's still right. Uh, something to feel and experience and taste. Yeah, so. and, it, and it, if I may correct myself, that that is. Thank you for clarifying that, because I think that is important to to point out. What, what what I mean by that is like exactly what you said. Is it's not that it's empty of everything. It's that you have, at least for me, it's like you've transcended yeah. from where you were to this new place that is 
em- like you were saying, empty of preconception and empty of that yeah. psychologically that you can get so wrapped up in. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure you, oh, yeah, I have no doubt that you completely understand it. I was more making, yeah, it's well, hard, it's hard to <laughs> find the words that. for this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, these, these states are beyond expression. And we yeah. often find ourselves using words in a way that uh, can sometimes be misleading around these states. So that's the only reason I, I make the corrections is because it's no, such that, a subtle you. thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just... I, as a, I teach meditation, and it's so interesting uh, the amount of myths that arise mm. just because someone had trouble uh, describing this state, and the words mm. they use become like a kind of conceptual handlebar for somebody to then try to experience a state that's not conceptual. Right. So, in some ways, the more we talk about it, the more it can kind of complicate it for people. Mm. Um, because they start painting this idea of what they think that state's going to be rather than realizing, no, it's actually to be present now. It's not about some ideal state or getting to a different moment. It's something that's inherent in this moment, just as it is, because we're talking about seeing life as it actually is or truth. Right. right? And that can't exist in the future because <laughs> if it only exists in the future, then we can never get to it. Um, <laughs> so it must exist now. So it can only be accomplished through being entirely present. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe I'll ask a, a magic related question now. Cause I'm, I'm, I, I will admit <laughs> I'm out of my depth here. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to hear the a question I've always well, not always, but when I was thinking about this podcast, one that I really wanted to ask you was that. Um, so you obviously have quite a large following on social media and, and, and you, I don't know, there's a lot of people that are fans of what you do, but when was it, was it like a gradual thing or did you just suddenly kind of come onto the scene? Was there a video that went viral? Because I, I don't know, I feel like I sort of just one day I woke up and I was like, oh, this Danny Goldsmith. And then I looked at your profile and it's like, wow, Danny Goldsmith. And then I say, wait, wh- why, why have I never heard of this guy before? And um, I don't yeah. know, do, you know, do you know how that happened exactly? Oh, it was kind of an accident, I guess. Um, it was one day I was like, oh, I'm going to start posting on things on social media. It'll give me a place to uh, kind of document and record. Um, um, yeah, basically just keep record of the thing, my ideas. And in the beginning, you know, I had some videos that were not my own ideas. I was putting other uh, magicians work on there um, just so that I can go back and watch my own kind of mistakes or hear criticism from people and feedback. Um, But for the most part, everything on my page is my own creations. So it became a way of keeping record of all of those things, because I don't know about you guys. I sometimes create things and then. I completely forget I created it. And then yeah. like years later, I'll re-remember this thing. And I'm like, oh my God, I should have wrote that down or mm. made yeah. a video of it. Or even <laughs> worse, you re-remember it, but you miss like a f- <laughs> concept. You get 95 percent of it. For, for <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh. Yeah, those are the worst, right? The mid, the, like the midnight ideas that yeah. you're like, I'll, re- I'll remember yeah. that when I wake up. I know up. I'll remember it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so unfortunate. I, I can't. I don't even want to imagine the the multitude of ideas that are completely lost to the void because of those moments. Yeah. <laughs> there, was actually a, there was actually a famous author because I, I I'm really me and Major both actually really into into writing. And I was I was watching on masterclass, uh, and I'm trying to remember his 
it was it wasn't Stephen King, but it was anyway. It was a big author, but he, he was. He, uh, I can't remember who it was, but okay. basically, he said this thing, and I was like, "He's he's like, you know what? Like, I just don't write down any of my ideas because I know if it's a good idea, I'll probably remember it because it'll be important." And I was like, "Oh, that's a great idea! Like, yeah, no stress <laughs> on me. I'm not going to write anything down from now on." And I quickly realized that maybe he was good at that, but for me, yeah. I was like, oh no, I just lost a lot of stuff. Yeah, that doesn't work for me either. I would lose way too much. But um, yeah, so I started adding all these things to Instagram and I got a lot of comments and feedback and I, it was nice. I was just like, oh, this is fun. I post things and people go, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. And um, it felt good. Um, yeah, it's, um so as as someone with ADD I, I think a lot of people in this world don't understand how much of a disorder ADD is and uh how much of an impact it has on people's lives um but those of us who have it severely are very used to being told throughout the majority of our lives that we're inadequate uh that we won't accomplish much etc cetera, etc cetera. um because we have a difficult time staying focused on most things and then some things we can be hyper focused on and get super mm. obsessive about um but for the most part we have to battle with a self-esteem issue um due to um living in a society that isn't really constructed for us so for me it was it was really nice to get feedback that people really liked my work and that was something that was actually really new for me um, I, I don't think I'd ever really gotten that kind of feedback in my life. And so I kept posting for that, really. It was, you know, the high of feeling appreciated. And before I knew it, I was just, I got more and more and more followers. And now I think, yeah, it's almost 12,000 now. But, uh, and what I realized, and a few things I always share with people is one, like you want, if you want to get a good following on Instagram, you got to offer something that not everyone else is doing. Um, I scroll through Instagram and you may be a great coin guy, but if you're doing what everyone else is doing, I'm not going to follow you. Um, I, I already have, I'm already following one person who does that. You know, I don't need like 15 other people who are all doing the yeah. same slide, you know? So do something original. And that I know that's easier said than done. It's tricky to create. And that's why I wanted to talk about creating a bit in this, you know, podcasts and I actually have a couple more points on creativity that maybe we can get to at some point Um, but even if it's just like you had a fun presentation to it not to create an entirely new move add a fun presentation to it you know make it interesting in some way make it unique make it yours the other piece is have your face in your videos I've seen some guys who are extremely creative um, and they are creating amazing stuff but they're not actually getting fast followers because you could scroll past their video and not recognize them because you don't even know what they look like. Mm. But if they know your face and you're releasing stuff that they like, now when they're scrolling and they see you, they go, oh, that's the person I like. They'll like and comment, and that helps. So put your face in your videos. Have a fun presentation. Talk. um, And don't drag it out too much. You know? Try to... Keep it to the point. Yeah. And uh, and I, I would say in the beginning, it is this is where it gets tricky. Post often, but 
always keep your quality as best you can. I remember, I think it was 2018, maybe when I was like trying to struggle and grow the Instagram by just doing stuff with me with cards. And I think what Danny was saying, sometimes you get, it's keeping up with new ideas and making sure it's always good as well when you're doing it. And for me, <laughs> I would suck at that sometimes because I'd be like, it'd be like nearly like, I don't know, 11 p.m. And I'd be like, oh, I need to post today. And I'd be like, uh, what, what can I even show? And so I'd like, I'd like be filming myself with cards. I'd be like, I'd just like drop them on the floor and be like, this happens sometimes, like when I'm trying to do cardistry. And like, it was just the worst ideas. I was just like, <laughs> just get something up there, you know? And I did yeah. that probably more times than I had a warrant to, but uh, it works in the end. So, <laughs> that's what, yeah, I was just saying as well, we, we, we've been thinking about kind of like rebranding recently as well, the Instagram, because it, I don't know. Also, I'm glad that you said it because it can get really tiring to just, I don't know, there seems to be uh, kind of magic waves that go through Instagram. I don't know if you see the same thing, but it will be like one trick will be done by somebody and then like you'll see 10 other accounts do the same thing within the space (laughs) of a week. And it's like, okay, like it was cool the first time I saw it, but like now it's it's getting a bit tired. (laughs) And and I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm glad I'm not the only one that's like, I'm scrolling through and I'm just like, yeah, I saw that. Thank you for showing me that like the 20th time. I don't know if you all bought the same thing on Murphy's Magic or something, but yeah, I don't know. It's just like you were saying, it's, right. it's good to add that little, well, it's always good to have a little stylistic thing and to make it you because that's what people really buy into it, it, yeah. is you rather than, well, a lot yeah. of the time it's you over what you're actually performing, yeah. right? It's. I mean, if you're yeah, any good. Yeah. yeah, if you're good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah my my biggest piece would be put your face in it and be expressive you know be connect with people on a emotional level as well that that's what hooks people yeah i think so too one thing i was um curious about danny is if you prior to sort of uh blowing up instagram if you were i don't know because you you often hear people use this word of like the underground scene but were you were you involved in any kind of underground? You know, you were rubbing shoulders with some of these other magicians, even though you weren't. Your name wasn't really out there as it is now. Because well, I'd imagine think if, a guy with chops like yours would not be in isolation, right? Uh, I was mostly in isolation. Um, so I've I've worked as a street performer for a long time. That was my my main thing. Um, I actually get so annoyed when people go, "Yeah, Danny, work, Danny's work is great," but it like it it's not real world stuff like like, as a street performer which in my opinion having worked as a strolling table hopping parlor etc is by far the hardest or at least it was for me um and you know there's there's a lot to talk about there because i think there's a lot of things around angles people don't understand but also understanding blocking and framing and all these things but um the not getting into that sorry the what was the question Side uh, underground, <laughs> if, you, if you were kind of um, ah, yes. corresponding um, with uh, the other guy. I mostly kept to myself. I um, I was part of Slight Club in North Carolina for a bit, so I hung mm-hmm. out with a few group, a few people there: Scott Robinson, Chris Hannibal, uh, Chastin Chriswell, um, a few of those guys. When I was like young and really getting started, and I'd go to some conventions, but I I don't I was shy. I didn't like show a lot of magic um i don't i, I kind of i was underground and present simultaneously <laughs> yeah. 
And right. at the same time, when I started to get good was actually when I was really um, not engaged in the magic community. Mm -hmm. um, when my skills were getting better, I was spending more time not getting distracted by all the different effects. I was working on one thing and one thing only until I got it to perfection. Um, and that's that was a time where I feel like um, I really made the leaps into kind of developing my skills and um, and it was during a time where I didn't really engage with people much. So then I kind of came out after that, started performing, being more engaged with going to conventions and being uh, more in the community. So Yeah. It's interesting because um, I think, yeah, we, we, we'd actually, we've been talking about um, a hot topic for between me and Benji recently has been, and I'm sure you're probably sick of hearing this, but we, we wanted to get your take on it because mm -hmm. it's just interesting to hear from a, a coin guy's point of view. We've been talking about card magic versus coin magic recently. And uh, actually, the thing that got us started, Danny, actually, was we actually saw one of your comments um, on uh, an Instagram post. <laughs> I was about to post. say, I'm, I'm in trouble. I already know I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just saw... It made us laugh though, because it, it was. I can't, we're not, we're not going to plug the the page because we're not both not really big fans of it. Um, but there was there was this. You you commented. It was basically just it was ripping a bit into uh into coin magicians, and you said, well, like say says those that don't have the talent to be one. Uh, and me me and Benji had a, had a good chuckle over that because we, we we thought it, it is true, and, and and we think it is kind of the center of this kind of problem um, with this. Angst. Oh, I actually think it's it is kind of important to, for people yeah. to know the context of this post because this person does like the 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 page they're talking about. We I, I won't promote, but um, is a satire page, and yeah, they right. give they joke with people in a really punchy way. So I felt I can yeah, punchy I mean, with yeah, them I too. Um, I, I, I don't normally that. speak to people like that. Punchy, punchy is a kind way to say what that page yeah. is like. Yeah, it's it's a little extreme at times. I yeah. completely agree. Um, they really they posted some stuff of me that was like I I kind of I took it in stride and was playful with them. So since then, uh, they have had a lot of respect for me just because of the way I responded. So for, oh. I have some uh, uh, appreciation for them and seeing that like oh you're you're a bit of you're a little bit of a schmuck, but if people take your uh, schmuckness well, uh, you're actually really kind. You're just you just have a rough way of playing. Right. So, but um, so, but anyways, yeah, I don't normally uh, respond to people that way. Yeah. But anyways, go on. I'm, I am curious to hear the um, the view of this uh, this this battle between coins yeah. and cards. <laughs> Well, there's, there's, well, there's, we there's we so actually, many. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, there's this. I mean, it's kind of one of them where it's like, well, where do we even start? Um, I, what we probably do is, well, me and Jacob had a conversation about it, and we just sort of jotted down the points we went over. And I, I thought we we went and listened back to that conversation actually prior to this, and we thought let's just note down the ones that uh, we'd love to get Danny's take on. It. And so we'd, I guess we just go through them. There's no particular order to them, but um, so the first point was that uh, I think sort of uh, really, I don't know if it's. Uh, I think the word I use for it is like a, a positive feedback loop where there's um, I think the example is, is I gave at the time was like Facebook versus uh, MySpace. Right. And so <laughs> don't worry. We'll, I'll, I'll talk about why this is really, it's coin and card in a minute, in a minute. I know it sounds totally uh, out there. 
Facebook as like a social network um, versus MySpace as a social network. So MySpace, let's just suppose for this argument that MySpace is technically better, which it probably isn't, almost definitely isn't, but let's say its, it's features are better. And, you know, the tech stack in there and, and the, the user functions and all that stuff, let's assume that's better. Well, nobody's ever going to be using MySpace just because the sheer reason of everybody else being on Facebook and it's that network effect. And it's like the more people are on Facebook, the more likely you are to go on Facebook because you want to be wherever else. And so it's like this positive feedback loop. And I think with card magic versus coin magic, the, the market is so predominantly like weighted toward card magic that it almost has no choice but to breed more card magicians. And it's this mm-hmm. positive feedback loop where in theory, yeah, I mean, coin magic could be better, but that almost doesn't even enter the equation just because this positive feedback yeah. loop of the prevalence of cards. Yeah, that's a good start. If I may speak to that, my, mm-hmm. that was actually what got me into coins was that noticing that and seeing, wow, like creating something new in the world of cards is challenging. Um, I like things too much. I don't feel like they need to be refined much more. And, you know, when I do have an idea of like, oh, but what if you did triumph in these kind of conditions? Someone's done it before. <laughs> Whereas with coins, it was like, I could have idea after idea after idea Mm -hmm. after idea that was new and no one had done it before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to, I'm going to have my own way of doing coin magic. And that Mm -hmm. ended up turning out to be pretty true. I've created, um, I have three projects out, sorry, four projects out now of all original material. And I have many more to release because I've just had so many ideas. But most of that is because there's, there's so much room for improvement in coin magic. Mm-hmm. Do you think potentially the flip side of that though is that it can be harder as a new coin magician because there's one of those secrets, like you're saying, there's, there's methods and techniques that you can still invent. There's stuff out there that you know, there's um, like if you read Bobo and you really read Bobo, it's like, well, hang on, <laughs> there's hundreds of slides in here. Why, why do I only see people doing like these five? Um, but yeah. I don't know. It's like it, I think it could potentially be more intimidating for a, for a beginner. Um, just because it's it's on it's sort of untread territory, which like you're saying is is also a benefit, but it could be potentially like, oh, okay, where do I even start with this? And there's no yeah. uh, precedence for it, I think. Which which is is a, I'm sure a good opportunity to plug Danny Goldsmith's products <laughs> if you want to learn good <laughs> yeah, magic. Go exactly. go check him out, right? Uh, <laughs> you want to yeah, go right, Danny? I actually there. right now I have a crazy cheap package deal that has so much fundamental work in it. I talk about angles. I talk about uh, how to manage your audience, blocking. I talk about um, drills and exercises to developing efficiency between palm transitions. So many things. So if you guys go to dannygoldsmithmagic.com and then you go to the tab and click special, you'll find that special package deal. And just read the description. There's extreme amount of stuff there from beginner to intermediate to advanced with a lot of foundational uh, network, really, to feel like you can plant your feet and get started. So mm-hmm. check that yeah, out. Yeah, and I've I've, I've uh, gone through some of that training, and uh, it's it's not easy, but it's definitely it kind of it's mind expanding. I think is the word that I used at the time. Cool. It's like I didn't know you were allowed to do this, um, and but <laughs> yeah, it's great. I, I definitely highly recommend checking that out. But I think there also is stuff in there that it's it's it caters for. Mm-hmm. most level yeah right? did you have, uh, did you have the pack did you ever get the the package deal where i teach 
mm-hmm. there's like a whole video on palm transition. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's the fundamentals that I talk about, which is, um, yeah, it's not super easy, but it's, it is, in my opinion, where one really needs to start for mm-hmm. coins. And in general, uh, and this is oh, usually a very controversial statement, uh, coins are harder than cards. Um, and I want people to understand, I can say that because I'm not just a coin magician. Um, actually, a lot of people don't know this, but I do just as much card work as I do coin work. I just don't create enough original card mm-hmm. stuff to feel like I can spam the internet with it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm very talented, skilled mm-hmm. with a deck of playing cards as, as well. Yeah. Um, and in my experience, coins are significantly harder, not just to do, but to then make natural. That That's actually a necessary part of learning any move and therefore kind of ups its its range of difficulty and that that is also the case with cards like there's so many people that can do a push through shuffle and then there's far less people who can do it in a way that looks natural Mm -hmm. and i'll freely admit actually with the way i approach card magic is um anyone listening to this who's been listening to me talk about this for a while might know that i i think the way you were talking about coin magic is this very similar way to how i talk about uh memorized deck magic i don't know if you've ever experimented with that but i i found like you know card magic Mm -hmm. In general, itself, it's so um, bloated is not the word, but but done, not done, but <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot going on, and and memorized deck in the same way you're talking about coins, it's like, hang on, like I can actually create some pretty cool stuff, just like if I just do this and this, and it's not even because so so much of it is uh, psychological and mental and uh, mathematical, and it's all just uh, numbers mm-hmm. and ideas and all this. It's like you can put pieces together in in different ways and. I know that is not a very good job of explaining it, but I I get what you're saying because that is what drew me. Oh no, I don't. Of the reason it drew totally. me memorized deck magic was because like you know what like like you're saying about the push through sh- shovel like that stuff is like hard and it was almost like uh, yeah. I don't even want to play that game. <laughs> Let me just go do this, which is a totally different thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and, and I think that is, I'm glad that we touched on that because I I really like your mentality, Daniel, on how you see magic because. I think it's a lot of the mentality that we try to implement in what we produce as well, because it's really about producing original effects and helping other people produce their own original effects and trying to push that culture through more in magic as well. And like we were saying uh, that we, we, me and Benji have both found that the memorized deck is really our medium to do that. And I'm glad that you found your medium in coins as well, because I, I think that that for me, that creation process um, and for, especially for me, actually in a group, I really love like a group creation process. Um, but that creation process is, is where I find my magic and where I get lost in it and where I'm like fascinated. Um, nice. and, and, and I think that it, it's, it's important for people to realize that not everything's been done <laughs> and that you can yeah. find, you can find your own place oh. where you can create your own effects and you don't have to be almost oppressed <laughs> you can you know you, you could like you say like uh like you said you have a gr- you have a great uh understanding of how to do card magic yet you chose coin magic you know mm-hmm. and where m- most people might have said oh like you shouldn't do that and, and i love that because it's in everything you know you subverting is, is for me at least i think is always a good thing <laughs> and trying to find your own trying to find your own space and trying to find your own uh creativity and and i i'm really glad that we've been able to talk about that because i think it's a really key thing that a lot of magicians should try and do for themselves is find out that space where they're creating and where they're 
they really have a great grasp of what they're doing and they're really enjoying it rather than just trying to recreate or not so much at least if you're recreating recreating with your own touch and your own style you don't have to perform it like they did you can take the concept and then perform it like i I don't know if you i would say at least for our magic i'm sure me and benji because we we produce well mostly benji but we, we produce a lot of our own effects that we give to people i would love to see people someone take my effect and then completely transform it and perform it to me in a way that it's almost unrecognizable. That's yeah, a, go, what, yeah. what a, a pretty what a great kick thing. out of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm sure you'd say the same thing, Danny, right? With oh like, yeah, your your tricks. It's what a you know or, or methods. I would say more. It's it's a great thing to see people take what you've taught oh. them and take that knowledge and then transform it back into something for you. I get the pleasure of that a lot. I um, get a small Discord group of just some close magician friends that I jam with. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, you know, I just spend a lot of time teaching them my work. They get like completely free access to my my time. You know, I, I teach lessons and mm-hmm. do that. But that's a paid thing. These guys get my time for free just because I just love them. We hang out, we have drinks, etc. Um, and one of them, uh, Eric, uh, Eric Caraballo. I think that's how you say his last name. Sorry, Eric, I'm fucking your last name there. Um, sorry, am I cursing bad on this? Maybe I shouldn't stay away from the f bomb. Um, <laughs> but Jacob, Jacob Eric, can edit it out. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay. It'll just be a big you bleep. Just bleep it. Yeah, it's the Fred Caps word, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, Eric has taken my ideas and regularly brought them back to me in new ways that I, I wouldn't, I didn't even recognize they were mine at first. Um, and mm-hmm. just, it's such a grad, it's such a wonderful feeling when somebody mm-hmm. could take something like that and expound on it further and just show you that like, Oh, even when I thought that there was an end to this and this was the end result, it could have gone even farther mm-hmm. just to completely abolish that idea that, you know, everything's been done or even this has been taken as far as it can. It's so nice to see that even done with our own ideas that we put a we somehow put a cap on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I, sometimes I think about it in terms of, um, I think the mathematical term is like a fractal. I don't know if, uh, if you've had any experience with that, but it's like mm-hmm. when you sort of zoom in on something and then it expands and then you zoom in again and then it expands. And so I think like in nature, you see like on leaves, right? If you if you look closely, it's like the same pattern. Oh, yeah. And then you go even closer, it's the same pattern repeating again. I think you can do that sometimes. I mean, it depends. I don't know if it's the same mm. experience with coin magic, but for me, like if Absolutely. I'm looking at deck, I can like look at a, a routine and then I say, all right, let's isolate this one part of it. Suddenly you zoom into that and you realize, oh, that whole thing is its like own thing. And then you zoom in on that and then it just kind of keeps on going. Right. I find really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's one thing I want to say here on creativity this was the last point i want to talk to a creativity was you know this belief that people have of like oh everything that can be done has been done um you that belief just boxes you in immediately you know and of course of course you just you just put yourself in a tiny box and now you're trying to reach for the stars like it's impossible like with that mindset it's just you just can't do it you have to have a fundamental trust and understanding that there's limitless possibility when it comes to creativity that creativity is a limitless state of imagination and not a fixed state of rationalizing and logic those are two different uh, operations of the brain 
The rational mind is not the imaginative metaphorical mind, and the rational mind cannot understand the imaginative metaphorical mind. It's it's too big for the rational mind to to get its hands on, basically. So it has that rational mind has to be dissolved to some degree to really feel the limitless quality that allows you the inspiration and potential to create something new. So something I tell people often is if you want to create something that invokes wonder, know the state of wonder in yourself first and create from the place of wonder. If you create from the place of wonder, you'll create something that invokes wonder. So it's also important for us to know this state that we're trying to create in somebody and to invoke that state in our own minds as we create something. If we create something from the state of wonder, it will invoke the state of wonder. I, I guarantee you that. So, and this is why meditation is so important is we're learning, you know, when you sit and you sit down and you just feel what it's like to have a breathing, living body, just very direct, noticing the sensation of that. And when thoughts arise, you know, oh, thinking, and you gently bring your mind back, you just acknowledge your thinking and you come back to feeling your body. What are you doing? One, you're disciplining your mind, which is essential to having a healthy mind. In the same way that we exercise our bodies, we should exercise our minds. You know, and we know that anytime we sit down and we ruminate on a thought over and over and over and over again, we tend to not feel very good. Um, so it's good to give our minds a break from that. So even just in that sense, it's wonderful for you. But also in the sense of you're establishing a habit of letting go of conceptual, rational ways of relating to the world. And the more you do this, the more you can begin to experience life free from preconceptions because you're creating a habit of letting go of preconceptions as they arise and coming back to the immediacy, felt experience of having a living, breathing body. From these experiences, you could go out, you can look at a tree. And instead of going tree and all its, its label and everything that exists behind it, and its whole thought pattern, you can say to yourself, what would it be like for me to look at this tree right now as if I was looking at it for the first time? And all of a sudden you see tree in this way that it's, wow, what a crazy thing. You know, you really actually see it, like looking for the first time. And something as simple as looking at a tree or being outside, feeling the wind, the rain touching your skin, the feeling of breath can invoke a state of wonder. So once we understand the state of wonder and we can experience it through our environment, it becomes a conducive state for us to create from. And it engages us in that sense of limitlessness that's not confined by conceptual ways of thinking. And if we are not confining ourselves with this idea of everything's been done before, then we have the potential and access to a mind that is able to create and see the limitless potential of any given mm. situation. Well, will we? <laughs> Coins. Yeah, and if anyone ever wants a reference, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind by uh, Suzuki Roshi, fantastic book for new meditation practitioners. That's the very Zen approach. Some people like Zen. Some people that might be too rigid. You might like... Uh, more of like um, like shamatha. Shamatha is spelled S-H-A-M-A-T-H-A, -A -A, which is um, a little more relaxed. 
And there's a lot of outlets out there for learning meditation. And, you know, now there's apps and there's, there's so many, so many ways. Mm -hmm. So it's just a way of taking care of our minds and, and as performers, cultivating a healthy perception, which in, as performers, that's what we do. We relate to perception. We relate to the perception of our spectators. How do we understand that? Well, we understand our minds. And in doing that, we understand mind as a whole. And then we have a better understanding of what's actually occurring underneath. What is the framework of all of the experience of magic? Wow. Thank yeah. you, Billy. I, I feel like I feel like I'm I'm uh, bringing the conversation back to down by, do. by remind by bringing. Oh no no not at all. The, There's the no down and, and, and point conflict again. Um, but I actually had one point I I really wanted to hear your opinion on, um, which is because uh, I sometimes hear people talking about how coin magic is not as intrinsically powerful anymore because coins themselves are not as intrinsically powerful anymore as a concept, you know. They don't buy you as much. It's kind of, they're just not a very useful thing to have anymore, uh, at least in comparison to how useful they used to be. And so a lot of people get really hung up on that. Um, but I was pointing out to Jake the other week that, uh, I mean, cards, I think, are going a similar way. Like, I, I, the prevalence of playing cards in use today, and again, like I acknowledged last time, I might be not, I might be seeing this from a foreigner's perspective because I don't, I'm in England, I don't know. The full scenario in the in the US, but from what I can tell, and just from what I've heard in general, you know, people are playing poker online. There's um, it's this transition to not using the physical cards as much, and so uh, to me, I always find the argument of coins being less uh, intrinsically useful, meaning that the, the the magic is not as good. is is kind of a moot point because I think both are going that yeah. way. You kind of have to find something well, else. Otherwise, it... here's my here's my very quick argument for that. What does that sound like? Uh, coin. <laughs> <laughs> but what is the uh, experience of that sound? It's pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Silver is silver, especially. Um, it, it's this very audible thing. It, it touches more senses than just sight, um, which is something that like you, you don't get as much with cards, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of the things I love about coins, and if you guys know a lot of my projects, you know, I love sound manipulation. Mm. Um, yeah. And silver is something that will always, always, always be valuable to the human experience. It is a shiny thing. It feels a particular way and it sounds a particular way. It has an inherent richness in it. And this is why I argue people use Morgan dollars. I, I think there's something there that I've never had somebody ex- think they were boring. Anytime I've ever handed them out, people are interested in them. They like the way they sound. It, I, maybe this is just my own opinion, but in seeing it through my own lens. But uh, to me, it always seems to have this inherent quality of richness mm-hmm. to it. So I don't necessarily agree that coins are um, don't have that anymore. Maybe like our standard currency that we're using that we experience every single day absolutely has a degree of mundaneness to it, without a doubt. Um, but I think if you can get some large silver coins, there's, there's something unique there that your spectators can connect with in a very fresh way that has a sense of richness. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a really good point, and it's one that we didn't 
uh, think of. So <laughs> I guess that's why we have the expert yeah. on <laughs> to correct us. As, as a follow-up question, I'd, I'd love to ask. Um, I like your example. Obviously, you're talking about the the sound, um, and so when I think about coin magic, I often think of it as like a very sensory experience, like there's visuals and the sound um, and this touch is tactile. But one thing I've always struggled to, to understand is that with coin magic, how you would be able to create routines that are sort of psychological or mental in the sense of, you know, if you're using cards, obviously you can do visual stuff with cards, but you can also stuff like, uh, you know, very basic example that we gave was the invisible deck where, the magic is not really happening in the cards. There's nothing that's going on there, uh, depending on how you present it. But if you went up to someone and said, look, think of a card, I'm going to read your mind. The magic is happening mm-hmm. from your mind to their mind. It's this kind of mental thing. The cards are just kind of there right. as like a backup, like here, let me prove it. I'll turn one card over. And and so the, the, the object is not the magical thing. The, the magical thing is happening between you as yeah. a psychological mental thing. I always struggle yeah. with like how, how you work that into coin magic, if that is even possible. But I figure you would probably mm-hmm. know more about that me, than me. So um you you quite i i've also had this question i haven't really dove into that that much because when i do card work it's very specifically in that realm Mm. um i don't make cards transpose disappear appear over here do that etc um because that's my my coin magic fills that Mm -hmm. that space right Mm -hmm. so when i do cards it's very like in the realm of more like mentalism and uh, mind reading type stuff. Because um, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's something so powerful. The closest I think I've gotten to that is, you know, there's some false coin tosses that you can do some neat stuff with. Um, there's actually a really neat one that you can do where you can toss a coin up in there and you can let the spectators clap their hands together to catch the coin. Mm-hmm. And then they can look and see what side it is, but it's still a force. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like I've mixed that with card stuff in a really fun way. Mm. Um, you, I did something the other day that was basically um, somebody picking card, shuffle the deck. Okay, take half away, discard those. Take another half away, discard those. Just split into a couple piles, discard those, and getting down to like four cards and saying, you know, the outsides are heads, the insides are tails. I'll flip this up in the air. You catch it, and whichever one it is, we'll take those away until you have one left. And mm that last part just feels so extremely free and random because of that and ends up being their card. Um, but that's not necessarily card magic or coin magic, it's more card magic with coin as a kind of implement in there. So the only other thing that I've come close with is a, it's a coins across where the coins are placed in the left hand, the left hand shakes. And I say, which coin do you want to go first? Mm-hmm. And that one goes across. Oh, okay. Now, technically, that doesn't really play. And then I can say, which one do you want to go second? My hands never come together. And then the second one goes. And then the third. Um, but I'm shaking in my left hand each time to show that there's coins there. But my hands never come together. And when I ask them, which one do you want next? It's immediate. There's no in-between move. But that's only mentalism <laughs> in this really weird way, which is... Technically, it implies that I'm doing the real thing, which is, oh, I can make any coin from this hand that I want magically jump across, which is not mentalism. But if they think, oh, he's got one across already and he's just going to produce it, how did he know it was the one um, that I named? So it's funny if they fixate more on method, then it becomes mentalism. (laughs) That happens sometimes, isn't it? It's uh, funny. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you're watching. 
Yeah, and I think because they have some sense of, they don't fully suspend disbelief, that routine naturally has a kind of air of mentalism to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. But that's the closest I've ever come to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So it looks like there's this room for... Exactly, like we're saying, room, out, for, right? room for creation, right? <laughs> Um, I think yeah, I think that does it. Uh, and then the final question, which I'd been meaning to ask you right from the beginning, and I, I almost forgot, is that um, you, you talked about how you spent a lot of time in Asia, and I was very curious mm-hmm. about how what the difference was because we talked a little bit before about you know culture okay. and difference that has should, performing, but in terms that. of <laughs> in terms of in terms of reacting, which is kind of like the flip side, what mm-hmm. was that like when you were in Asia? Because I always imagine it as a very different thing. I feel like in in Western culture people are a little bit more exposed to magic not a lot but more so i think or at least i would suspect yeah. i don't know if that's true so i was in nepal right mm-hmm. which is um very different than like china right mm-hmm. china's culture is like extremely different than like nepal um in nepal people are much more comfortable with themselves than i've ever really seen mm-hmm. um there's not this territorialness or this uh fear of connecting with people and at the same time, there's not this competitive underlying assertion to show that you're worthy or valuable, which we do in this Western culture a lot. We're always trying to convince people that we're cool or listen to my story. Listen how neat this is. Look how smart this sounds. Look how interesting my life is or whatever it is. You know, it's always this competing for value or competing for worth. And I didn't see that before in my own culture and in myself until I came back from Nepal. Because while I was in Nepal, I know that wasn't there. Um, it was conversation was so simple. People didn't talk about themselves. They just didn't. You didn't share stories as much, or if you did, you shared stories about other people, and the you know not as some um, overinflation of their characteristics, but because there was some beautiful serendipity within it or you know something that really spoke to the context and circumstances more than talking about people and their traits and qualities which leads to a kind of comparing mindset it was the conversation there was far simpler than that and often there wasn't a need for conversation people just enjoyed the environment or context that they were in so when i came back i saw so deeply this uh, constant underlying competitiveness that is in our every word and how uncomfortable we are with ourselves. And that was, that was, that was a bit of a shock for me. And because mm. at first uh, that habit had disappeared in me while mm. I was in Nepal. So when I came back, I didn't have it, but I could see it in everyone else. And then quickly within a couple of weeks, I readopted it because we are, you know, we are part, we are very much a part of the people we live with. Right, right. We like actually say, can't, yeah, yeah, we can't draw any lines them. between mm-hmm. them. Yeah. So anyways, to, to more specifically answer your question, um, when I was in Nepal and I was just in a random alley waiting for a cab and uh, I was rolling a coin across my knuckles and this kid came up and he just sat on the ground in front of me and looked at it. <laughs> just like sat cross-legged in front of me. <laughs> so I sat cross-legged in front of him and did some magic for him. And after 30 seconds, I look up and there's like five people around me. So I stand up and I do some stuff with the kid and I put the coin in his hand and it disappears and I do all this stuff. And I look up again and I got 20 people around me. <laughs> it's like, holy shit. 
and I'm just like in this random alley, like, like not like in major downtown Kathmandu. I'm like mm-hmm. uh, slightly on the outskirts of this alley. And before I knew it, I had like 50 people just crammed in this alley watching me. And when I was done, everyone applauded and they were so sweet. And they came up and they bowed to me and they thanked me. And it was just so genuine, sweet and appreciative. Um, it was it was it was wonderful. It was so wonderful. And I, I think to some degree, they'd probably never seen it before. Right. You know? But there wasn't also this this sense of being afraid of each other. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're, oh, my God, when you stand in a line in Nepal, especially, like, in the airport, you're, you're elbows to asses with people, <laughs> you know? Um, like, it's like you're, it's like, you're crammed in there. There's no such thing as personal space in Nepal. Um, that's a weird thing to get used to at first. Um but because of that, people are just—they're not so—they're not so afraid of you. They're not so territorial. And um, when I would start to perform, people just came up and were just happy to watch and connect. That's really cool. You've, uh, it was—it <laughs> was so beautiful. It was—it really was so beautiful. It's interesting because it kind of reminds me of something that uh, when I was in France, I was able to do a bit of magic as well for people, and there was this really—that's <laughs> this really cool time where. Like you said, like I just had a deck of cards on me, and there was this kid, and uh, it's yeah, I had a, I happened to have a deck of cards on me, and there was a kid that I, I actually so I used to have like round glasses, and I'm English, so I, I looked <laughs> quite like Harry Potter. <laughs> so this kid like ran up to me, and he's like Harry Potter, Harry Potter, in his French accent, uh, and I was like, oui, oui, je... I'm sorry, I'm not saying French. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Harry Potter. Do you want to see a magic trick? <laughs> And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, so I did this trick for him, and he was like, wow. And then, like, all of his friends came from the park, and they started, like, following me down the road. And I don't know. It was just funny as well because, like, after that, they were like, are you from, like, Hogwarts? And I was like, yeah. I was like kind of. They were like, like, like a magic training school? I was like, yeah, let's go with that. And it was just funny because every time I'd see them after that, they'd always be like, oh, there he is, there he is. Like, show us something new. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's such a cool thing of, like, Magic is, and I think it's something that I actually first heard, like, strange enough, I heard, like, Darren Brown, uh, David Blaine say when he was doing his street magic in the way that it kind of, it just breaches, like, or it it goes beyond, like, culture. And, like, I don't know, wherever you are, that feeling of amazement, you can identify with it. And it's something that you that you search after. And, and, and I think it's, it was yeah. so cool because at that point, I couldn't really speak French, but I could connect in that way. And it, it's such a, it's a, it's a, it's a gift really. It's, it's absolutely. Art. Yeah. I think that that amazement is actually our, our birthright as human beings. And I think it's actually the nature of our mind. I, I think at a very fundamental level, um, that is the openness in which we learn as we look out at the world and the sense of amazement, the sense of deep appreciation, which allows us to be receptive to learning in deeper ways or experiencing in deeper ways. And as we know, you know, that is, that is how we evolved as a species. You know, we're not, we don't have claws. We don't have sharp teeth. We don't have hooks. We're actually this really squishy thing. Um, we're, we're not like anything else. And it's our vulnerability as a, as a organism that has led us to being intelligent in this way that we have to understand the perspectives of the other creatures and the environment so that we can learn how to thrive in it. So it's, you know, it's our it's our vulnerability as part of our 
deeply part of our intelligence. And part of that vulnerability is also recognizing, oh, I don't know. This whole thing is actually bigger than my conceptual way of seeing. And therefore, that is that state of that state of awe and amazement is looking at the world as if it's much bigger than us. And then each moment is much bigger than us and our ideas of it. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, I could go on for, for hours, but I think off. we'll, uh, <laughs> we should probably let you go now, Danny. It's been amazing uh, to talk to you. Cool. Yeah. It's so nice to chat with you guys. Uh, two things I really recommend is, um, uh, a great movie. I just watched this on Netflix just to talk more about that, that, uh, sensitivity mm -hmm. to life as a way of connecting with wonder. Mm -hmm. Um, something that kind of invokes that without directly talking to it is a movie on Netflix right now called my octopus teacher. Um, I promise it's most, one of those beautiful films you're, you're going to watch. It's, it's really something. And then another one on the topic of, uh, cause we talked about meditation. There's a great little documentary called becoming nobody, um, by Ram Das. And, uh, that one I really liked too. Um, that one's not on Netflix. Um, but I think it's on YouTube for, I think like three bucks or something. Okay. Um, I think for this podcast, we're going to do one for the, the inner circle, uh, just like a five minute one after this. But Danny, is there anything else you want to add? Anything you want to plug? Uh, one thing we like to do is just ask, um, where can people find you and how can people reach mm -hmm. out to you? And where, where do you want them to reach out to you? And what, what do you want to see? Yeah. So um, you guys can check out my site. It's uh, dannygoldsmithmagic.com. Um, you guys check out that special there. And there's not too much on there right now, but I'll be releasing more products there in the future. Uh, the best place to see my, you know, my videos and stuff is probably on my Instagram, which is also Danny Goldsmith Magic, uh, keeping it simple. So you can go there, check that out. That's also where you can message me, especially if you guys are, you have questions for me or um, you're interested in lessons or if you're struggling with something that, uh, of mine that you're working on and you're like, God, oh, I'm having such a hard time with this move. I, I, I don't just want to sell you my ideas. I, I want to help you be able to actually learn them. So if you're struggling with them and you need help, please, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to help. Okay. Well, great. Thank you, Tony. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was a real pleasure. Uh, we, we, I learned a lot. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, just for to plug ourselves as well, if you want to go sign up uh, to our to get more daily content from us, uh, it's thedailymagician.com. Uh, just put your email in there, and then you'll you'll get more great content like this. So, yeah, awesome. Uh, so I think we're just gonna hit end on the podcast, and we'll see you in the next one. So thanks for sticking around. Cool.